Welcome back to Radio Teco News, a podcast of the legacy San Francisco-based community bilingual Latino newspaper, El Tecolote. My name is Alexis Terrazas, editor-in-chief, and in our previous episode, we spoke with Cynthia Gutierrez, an award-winning first-generation Nicaraguan Salvadoran reproductive justice organizer, full-spectrum doula, cultural strategist, writer, and public speaker. In part two of this episode, we continue our conversation on abortion with Cynthia, where we discuss what's at stake in this upcoming state election, what abortion access looks like in other more restricted states, and what everyday people can do to be accomplices in the fight for abortion access. And a trigger warning to our listeners, we discuss the topic of abortion in depth. For a list of resources ranging from abortion access to donating to an abortion fund, please see the links in our show notes. California is viewed oftentimes, right, as a, as a safe haven for, for abortion. Uh, and, but so far in this interview, you've also articulated or hinted at some of the barriers that exist, right, that, you know, would prevent somebody or without, that would inhibit somebody from, from accessing that. You know, um, what are some of those challenges, if you don't mind, um, you know, sharing? What are some of those barriers, uh, some of those challenges, even in, um, in a state like California? Yeah, that's an excellent question. I will say this, though, to, to the credit of California, we are very fortunate that we have the support of Governor Newsom in um, wanting to make California a reproductive uh, health safe haven, uh, reproductive freedom state, um, and that we have um, politicians, particularly Democratic politicians, that have been very vocal about being pro-abortion. I also want to say that I'm very explicit when I say pro-abortion versus pro-choice. I think often pro-choice has been um, used in the mainstream narratives, has been really uh, hugged tight by white feminists. And um, the thing that can get tricky with just saying pro-choice is that there are folks um, who are the most marginalized that never had the choice of getting an abortion, that don't have access to contraceptives. And so um, another reason why I also say pro-abortion is because we're trying to normalize saying the word abortion. Um, We testify, the organization that I mentioned earlier, had a campaign, and I think they were tracking it. It was like over like 100-something, 200-something days where they were urging President Joe Biden to say the word abortion. Like every like press release was like, oh, reproductive health choice or like the decision of women. And and it's really important to be explicit that all people can get abortions. We're talking about folks that identify as non-binary, that, I, that are trans, um, and we want to be as inclusive as possible. So when we say pro-abortion, we're being explicit that this is what we're wanting um, and really taking away the stigma of what is uh, a much needed reproductive health um, service. So just to start off with that, 
In terms of some of the challenges that we're seeing in California, um, I think one thing that people that are outside of California don't realize is that we're a really huge state. And so I say this because, you know, sometimes I have homies from the East Coast that are like, Cynthia, like, I'm in LA, like, come through. I was like, "Mm, I'm in the Bay, like, I'm not coming. Like, (laughs) and so I say this because people often don't realize that there's pockets of the state that have um, a lot of barriers to care. And so what comes to mind is folks in the Central Valley. So maybe there's areas like that or counties in that um, region that might not not necessarily have um, an independent abortion clinic or or have a Kaiser or have some sort of hospital or abortion provider in the area. So that means, for example, let's say you have someone from the Central Valley calling access reproductive justice, or you have someone from like super, super like Northern California. Um, some of the scenarios that we've seen at Access Reproductive Justice has have been, you know, people that have to take time off work to get these procedures. So if you are um, having to get, so you're having to take time off work, that's if you can get the time off and the time that's might be unpaid, right? Let's also add to this scenario, let's say you already have children, So if you have to leave your area, Central Valley, to possibly go to San Francisco to get your abortion, who who's going to watch your children? Do you have the ability to pay for daycare or a nanny or a babysitter, someone to be with them? Um, Let's say your children are of age where they're in school and you're traveling to San Francisco for multiple days because you might need that initial appointment to confirm pregnancy and then the following appointment for a procedure or the medication abortion, is there someone to pick up your children? Um, and if, you know, taking consideration like people who are single parents, let's also add to the mix. Let's say you don't have a car, you know, not making the assumption that everyone in the state has a car. Do you have um, the money and ability to get on a Greyhound from the Central Valley to San Francisco, um, which will take hours out of a day? Um, and resources. Um, also, uh, and so that's, so those are some, some things to keep in mind, you know, transportation, childcare, uh, if there's any out-of-pocket costs to abortion, that's something else to keep in mind. Thankfully, Governor Newsom last week signed um, a package of legislative bills that will help alleviate some of the out-of-pocket costs for abortions. Um, Just to kind of give people a sense, um, not every insurance um, company covers your abortion fully. So if you have multiple appointments or you have a procedure, depending on like your insurance and, and what's happening with your situation, you can easily pay anywhere from like starting to 200, 500, even more just for the out-of-pocket expenses. And so kind of things to keep in mind with that. That's one reason like I really am such the biggest supporter of access, reproductive justice, because when folks call and say like, hey, like I have this out-of-pocket cost, access will then go into their funds and and try to figure out, can we pay the remaining costs? Um, Access has a group of phenomenal volunteers that, if let's say someone from the Central Valley comes to San Francisco, they can, um, and I know it's tricky with the pandemic, with COVID and, and all the different regulations, 
but at least pre-pandemic, a volunteer would be able to take someone to their appointment, you know, once they reach the Bay Area. Um, they would be able to have people stay in their homes. So they, so another thing to think about is if you're having someone coming out of the Bay Area to get uh, abortion services in San Francisco, you have to be able to pay a hotel for them. And we all know if the cost of hotels and Airbnbs and, and all of that is just getting like really expensive. And so we would have volunteers like open up their homes. Um, one phenomenal thing also about Axis is that they have a network of abortion doulas, which is someone who is able to provide emotional support and resources to that person getting an abortion. And so, um, you know, these are just some of the challenges, some of the barriers Keep in mind that if you're coming from out of state or in a different state with more severe restrictions, the barriers are a lot more. Yeah, and thank you for that. And um, I want to get into some of those uh, specific barriers, right, for our folks that live outside of the state. Uh, I remember um, you and I trading back and forth uh, DMs, right, when we were trying to put like a resource information into the the newspaper, Deco. And you had mentioned, I believe, and uh, forgive me, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you mentioned, Cynthia, um, that last year, Access had helped folks from 17 different states, right? Um, and I'm not sure if I it's have that figure 18. Correct. No, it's, it, well, you're close, 18. So people from 18 surrounding states were um, asking for resources to be sent to their state, were asking to come out to California, yeah. Wow. And, and so this kind of goes into like my, my next question, right? Like, um, you know, you, you outlined, you, you outlined, um, a lot of the challenges and barriers in the state, you know, and you kind of hinted at some of like, you know, especially at the early on being, you know, you hear this state just restricted it or banned it, you know, give us context as to like, you know, what the, um, what the landscape is like outside of the state and, and, you know, why? And so, yeah, landscape as to like what um, how other states or folks that live in other states who are seeking abortion, um, but also like uh, what is, you know, what how can we help those folks? Right. Living in, in other states. Right. Um, I would love to refer people to um, one of the networks that I'm a part of. It's called the National Network of Abortion Funds. And so this is. Uh, and you might all have like heard of it because there's like Lizzo donating. Like now we're having with the fall of Roe, like all these celebrities like wanting to be more intentional about giving to abortion funds versus Planned Parenthood. And um, so I will direct folks there because there you are able to get like your common questions answered about like, what is an abortion? What is an abortion fund? Like, is there an abortion fund in my state, et cetera? In terms of some of the barriers happening outside of California, it's um, pretty horrendous. Um, I can't speak to like every single state. I will say that um, I was in Dallas about a month ago uh, for the Sister Song Conference, and I had the opportunity to like really chat with some of my favorite reproductive justice um, activists and organizers who are in Dallas, San Antonio, Houston, and they were just sharing around um, SB8, which was a law that passed um, within the last couple years and um, or within the last year. And what this law 
is doing is that it is criminalizing people who have had abortions. And the part that's even more sickening, so let's say like Lex, you and I lived in Dallas and you uh, were my nosy, my nosy neighbor that just wanted to get all up in my business. If you suspected that I had an abortion, you could actually go and sue me. And I think the, if I'm remembering this correctly, it's, uh, you're able to like sue like up to like 10 grand. Um, and so not only are you, you know, the nosy ass neighbor, like all up in my business, which you might not even know if I actually had an abortion or not, but the, the thinking that you, that I could have meant that you and I could like go into some like legal battle and keeping in mind for folks who are undocumented, for folks who um, have already been impacted by um, the criminal injustice system, like what um, a scary situation that is. Another thing that the organizers there were sharing is that, unfortunately, with these bans and these laws that are happening in Texas, there are... Um, uh, like cl- like independent clinics or spaces that can no longer provide abortion. So they're closing down. And so now people that work in these clinics and these spaces like are no longer employed and the people that need these services cannot go to those places. So now people are being forced to travel out of state. We're talking about your drive. I mean, Texas is a big state as well. So you're driving hours at a time, flying possibly, the cost of airfare is outrageous right now as well. And so how, how do we make sure that people, example, for a state like Texas, can get the services they need in a way that is dignified? One thing I also want to uplift that my Texas folks have shared is that, and, and this came from, you know, from their mouths, like often you know, people want to shit on Texas. Like people want to say like, oh, I never want to live there. You know, y'all got issues, you know, blah, 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 blah. But like, there are some resilient, phenomenal organizers. I mean, these are people that are finding ways to get people to get abortions left, right, up and down. And I've had organizers tell me like, do not shit on us. Do not underestimate us because we will make sure that people get their abortions whether it is constitutionally legal or not. Now, I don't know if you necessarily want to broadcast that part to just anyone because you don't want to get criminalized or sued, but like there are people who um, who are doing what they what they need to do to make sure abortions are still happening. Um, unfortunately, now there's just more legal barriers and, and the fear of being incarcerated because of it. Yeah, and, and real quick, Cynthia, what are some like, what are some things that folks here in the state or folks that might be listening, how can we help, right, those those causes, um, you know, should we feel compelled to, right? You know, I think a lot of times, like, and you're right, man, like, I've heard, I've heard like, the, the so-called, like, uh, shitting on other states in the South, right? But, you know, as opposed to that, like, what are some of the things, real quick, if you can't, if you, if, if, uh, if you'd like, what are some of the ways that we could support, like, ordinary people, you know, support these causes? There's so many ways. One thing I will say is um, when you go to the National Network of Abortion Funds, find the abortion funds in the states that you would like to donate to. These, these, like the money that you all donate directly goes to cover 
the cost of people's abortion, the gas money, the Greyhound ticket, the airfare ticket, childcare, food, lodging, like this is a form of community care. You are directly, when you donate to an abortion fund, you are directly helping someone get an abortion. Like I, to me, like I can't imagine a more loving act because you literally don't, you don't know this person, but you believe that they should have the dignity and the autonomy to live their life the best way they know how. And by donating, that is a way that you can do that volunteering at these organizations um, that you feel compelled to, um, hopefully those that are reproductive justice organizations, because that that is where I'm more inclined to be. Um, I will say that um, a couple other things is to really um, just educate yourself around medication abortion um, and ways that you can support People not only in other states, but in your direct community. I tell people that we all know someone that's had an abortion, but maybe they're just not comfortable letting you know they had an abortion. So like how is we as individuals, as we're learning and growing and developing, like how are we making ourselves known to be pro-abortion so people can feel safe to come to us, to ask for resources, to feel supported? Um Another thing that I want to uplift is stopping the spread of misinformation. One of the things that is so problematic here in East Oakland, and I tell you, Lex, like if I can throw tomatoes at these boards, I would, or like eggs, but like there's these huge billboards in East Oakland with like full grown ass babies with like eyes and teeth and like, you know, uh, indicating that like, oh, you're killing a baby or like, this is this is what a baby looks like after like two seconds of being conceived, which is like scientifically inaccurate. And so when we see things like this in the media, like you all that are listening, when, you know, we're having conversations with our neighbors or our friends, like really like checking in with them. You don't necessarily, if you don't feel comfortable, you quote unquote, calling people out, don't, don't do that. But like, really like look people in the eye and, and, and have honest and truthful conversations about abortion um, and really try to like change those false narratives. I think this goes really beautifully into like, how do we have courageous conversations with one another? Um, I'm very intentional about telling people that I'm a first gen Central American woman that's had an abortion. And from doing that, I've had other first-gen Central Americans come up to me and tell me like, you know, I had an abortion X years ago and I never told anyone. And you're the first person I told because I didn't think we were allowed to talk about this. Um, And so what does it mean to um, be courageous? And if you feel comfortable sharing that you had an abortion, share it. If you don't, no pressure, but know that there's a community of people that have had abortions that have your back and want to support you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It seems like we're always in um, election season and we have an election (laughs) coming up, right? Uh, One of the rallying cries that I remember was, you know, vote like you've never voted before. And I got a question and some personal feelings on that. But before we get there, Cynthia, you know, we have an upcoming election um, here in the state um, uh, in November. And one of the uh, propositions, Prop 1, um, you know, is, is central to the topic we're talking about. 
you know, so my next question is, you know, what's at stake um, in this uh, in this state election? We know that California has is a very, you know, uh, pro-abortion state. But uh, what is at stake? And if you have any insight on Prop 1 that you'd like to share with our listeners, please, um, please do so. Um, so before I get into Prop 1, because we are in election season and I'm getting like a million pamphlets about candidates right now, I really want to encourage folks that are listening to this podcast to be very intentional about voting for candidates who are pro-abortion. I will say that again. So please vote for candidates who are unapologetically pro-abortion. Um, we need that more now than ever. We can't assume that people are just because they're a Democrat or just because they're in California. I know I've made that mistake. And I've had to like really do my own research and ask like, what is this person's thoughts on this? And um, so that's one thing for sure. I will say that um, I personally do support Prop 1. Um, I have met with some of the team members of the Prop 1 campaign. And um, I personally really appreciate that they have been doing some of their work in Espanol, like they recently had um, Alex Pedilla like do a whole speech in Spanish. And like, I think that's really important to make sure that folks, um, when I say my community, my, you know, Latinx community to feel a part of that conversation. Um, I want to make sure y'all have some information on Prop 1 because it is a lot of information that's being thrown at us. And so Prop 1 will amend the state constitution to explicitly prohibit the state from denying or interfering with personal choices related to reproductive care. It declares that individuals have a fundamental right to choose to have an abortion and to use or refuse contraceptives. And so a lot of folks are wondering like, well, like, why now? Like, you know, California is like, quote unquote, so liberal. Um, like, why do we need to vote on this? And, um, it's really important to know that, you know, although California law does have a lot of protections for abortion, um, we want to make sure that there won't be any sort of interference from any sort of like federal laws that happen. Um, and it's important to like make sure that in the state of California, we're just protecting against any potential future attacks at the federal level, in the court systems. Um, and Honestly, like Prop 1 will just continue to protect us and to allow individuals and families to have the freedom to decide if and when to have children. Um, and honestly, we need all the legal protections we can get at this point. Um, and so they have a website and, you know, hopefully y'all can like go check that out. Prop 1 California, you can Google it, go on their website and please vote. It's November is like literally around the corner. Mm -hmm. It is. Yeah. And register, please, because that's the other thing. Yes. It's not just about voting on the day, but registering. Um, Cynthia, and this kind of really just kind of ties in, uh, flows right into my next question regarding, you know, what are some things that we can do outside of just like showing up um, to vote? Now, you have wonderfully articulated a lot of like community solidarity work, uh, volunteering. Um, but what are some of the other things um, that can empower people? You know, I, I people I, I've talked to people who say that they voted in every single election and they feel maybe still uh, um, demoralized, right, with certain results and, and certain certain way things are heading. Um, but so what are what are your um, 
thoughts on like what else uh what other outside of voting how else can people feel empowered um and and strive to being like you know you know yeah ensuring that everybody has access to to abortion one thing that might seem really simple but i find that is very effective is something that i just mentioned earlier around these courageous conversations if we are not able to have safe conversations around birth control birth justice postpartum depression abortion access like postpartum anxiety within our home or our chosen family or our friend group, then that's a problem. Like I am very explicit around, I don't want anyone in my friend circle that's not pro-abortion because that's like, um, that to me is like a, a hard boundary, right? And so I feel like often these big elections happen, these big like, uh, legal battles are happening and people just want to like um, desperately like do something. And I often feel like the work starts internally. It starts with us checking in with ourselves around like, how do I feel about this issue? Are there things that I still have stigma around? I know people that say, you know, I'm okay if you have an abortion for X, Y, and Z reason, but not for this other reason. I have friends who have had two, three, four abortions and people will stigmatize them and tell them um, that something's wrong with you or like uh, you need to like do something different. Um, And so one thing I've learned in this process around abortion justice is like we all don't look at abortion the same way. Like how can we be as inclusive as possible Um, and check our own biases and um do a lot of unlearning. How can we continue bringing in folks that have disability, that are non-binary, that are trans to this conversation? Lex, I'm in many reproductive health spaces and people will talk about abortion and never once mention the experience of people that are not women, right? And so like even within the reproductive health spaces, there's so much growth and so much... um, work that needs to be done. Um, I really believe that like being a person that doesn't spread misinformation because we're getting, as, as you all, like the media, you're the journalists, like we, I'm seeing on social media, on billboards, on everywhere, like people really, um, debating and saying things that are unscientifically true about abortion and birth. And the more that we counter that inf- that misinformation, the more we change the narrative. One thing that I'm also really interested in is supporting causes that are pro-abortion. And when I say this, it's like the media that we're watching, the books that we're reading. Um, there, I have some, I have some friends that do um, abortion research and television. So they have this whole database where they capture any time abortion was in um, like a TV show or a film, like when it was in the script or like when it actually happened or and, and what was the cause of it and all of this. And like what I find so fascinating about that work is that um, we are, 
as I'm learning about it and like talking to them, it's like we need to really like normalize abortion in our media, in the books that we read, in the conversations that we have. Um, and so I think that's a big part of the culture shift, right? It's not just like, I want you to like run and like volunteer. Of course, I want you to do that. But like, if you're not doing that internal work and like shifting the culture and having courageous conversations, then you might actually perpetuate more harm to this movement. And a lot of people do that. One thing I'll tell you, as soon as Roe v. Wade fell, I won't tell you how many people hit me up. They're like, I want to start a new organization. I want to like make sure abortion is available for all. I'm like, yeah, like we already have that. Like, why don't we build together instead of working in silos or like re reinvent the wheel when like the wheel wasn't even broken? Like black indigenous and people of color, like immigrant folks, like we've all been like organizing for this, like, and we're still going to make sure abortions happen, whether it's legal or not. And, you know, we don't need you to recreate shit. Like that's already there. <laughs> no, absolutely. Cynthia. And yeah, no. And I get the, uh, the, the panic or the sense of anxiety motivating folks to want to wanna do things, but yeah, it's always critical to remember, you know, those who came before, right. Who have started, you know, who have been decades in, um, in this fight. Um, yeah. So no, I, I appreciate your, your wonderful, eloquent words on that. I know I've kept you here almost an hour, so I really appreciate <laughs> your time. Um, you know, but, uh, just kind of final finalizing up the interview, you mentioned something in the, in your previous response about changing culture, um, you know, um, uh, you know, changing and unraveling, uh, and you know, um, uh, the stigmas that exist. Um, obviously you articulated like the long legacy of, of, of the, you know, the, the fight for the right to abortion and reproductive justice here in the United States. You mentioned also your, your lineage, right? Central American, Nicaragüense, Salvadoreña, um, you know, and, uh, and I'm Latino as well. My, my family's from Mexico and we're aware of uh, those of us, you know, some of us are aware of the long le legacy of, of resistance in those countries, right? Um, but there's also a legacy of criminalization still that stands uh, today. You know, in some countries, um, you know, we talk about the some of the bans and the criminalizations here in the United States, uh, and that that's kind of this or you know, that same criminalization exists in some countries in Latin America. So I guess my next question is for folks of uh, like living here. How can we, um, you know, stand in solidarity and support folks, um, you know, who are in our in our homelands or in other places in Latin America where the right to abortion is not just restricted, but criminalized at times? Right. And I think one of the most um, beautiful acts of grassroots grassroots resistance has been like this green wave. And so maybe some of you have seen like these green bandanas. I actually have one right behind me hey, in the yeah. video. I know you all can't see it right now, but essentially it has been grassroots people throughout Latin America, but I think has gotten more um, media attention in Mexico um, and organizers. And there's actually an abortion fund in Mexico that, um, that the national network of abortion funds works with. So these folks have come together and just really have pushed for like legislative change to make abortion legal. Um, I will say that um, I wanted to make sure I got this correct for you all. So hopefully I'm not misspeaking, but my understanding is that the following countries in Latin America currently permit abortion 
uh, and mind you, like there might be some like uh, regulations within that. But my understanding that Mexico, Cuba, Puerto Rico, Colombia, Argentina, and Uruguay are the Latin American countries that are currently um, legal in terms of having an abortion. Um, I will say that for me, this is very personal because Nicaragua is one of the few countries that abortion is completely banned. And there is um, stories of people serving jail time, you know, anywhere from like six to 30 years for having an abortion in Nicaragua. Um, We've seen similar cases in El Salvador around women that have had miscarriages and have been assumed to have an abortion. I mean, whether they have a miscarriage or an abortion um, and have been criminalized and have served jail time. Um, So what I will say that those particular instances are very devastating to me. I have, and maybe this is me being optimistic uh, because I really try to like recognize and live in like joy and like think about liberation quite often. I really hope that in my lifetime we can see abortion be legal in Nicaragua and El Salvador. That's my personal hope. And I also know from um, indigenous elders that I've been taught from and taught with and been in community with them is that we do this work with hopes that like within seven generation, we can see these changes made. And so I'm also very clear that even if it doesn't happen in my lifetime, maybe in the lifetime of my son, maybe in six generations to come, like that we are planting the seeds that we're doing this movement work in Latin America, in the U.S., to around the world, honestly, to be able to provide as much reproductive justice, autonomy, and have people live with dignified lives. Well said, Cynthia. Uh, Well said. And to finalize um, this interview, I want to do something that, uh, or extend the invitation that I extend to all the guests. And and that is ask one last question. Um, And it's not really a question, but it's really kind of uh, an invitation to you uh, to share any final thoughts. It could be anything. It could be a list of, of resources. It could be words of wisdom. Whatever is in your heart uh, that you'd like to share with our folks, please, um, the floor is yours. Thank you. I would like to share with you all that the beautiful words from one of my favorite people, Renee, she's the executive director of We Testify, she often says, everyone loves someone who's had an abortion. And I say that to you all because now is the time to get involved. Now is the time to donate, to volunteer, to educate yourself, to be in community, to share your stories, and to be unapologetic about supporting people who want abortion. And beyond abortion and reproductive justice, how do we support pregnant people? Um, to have births that are not harmful, that do not have racist um, healthcare providers? How do we continue thinking of supporting people in the postpartum period um, with different uh, postpartum depression, anxiety? And um, how do we 
build communities where childcare is affordable? How do we build communities where there's parental leave for all people caring for a child? How do we continue thinking about making birth control accessible to whoever wants it whenever they want it? And, you know, as we think about these things and talk about these things and are in community with these topics, like, let's remember that um, we don't have to do all this work alone. And it really ties back to community care. Um, And this is a long distance marathon. And I am honored to be in this marathon with you all. If you would like to reach out, you can find me on Twitter at Sin Adriana, C-Y-N-A-D-R-I-A-N-A. You can find me there. If you want to get an abortion in California, reach out to Access Reproductive Justice. And let's keep doing this. Let's keep being in this fight together. Cynthia, um, muchísimas gracias. I really, really appreciate um, and uh, respect you being here. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. This podcast episode complements the coverage that was featured in our September 22nd issue of El Tecolote, which focused on amplifying the forgotten voices, stories, and experiences surrounding reproductive justice, rights, and abortion. That special issue was made possible by a grant from the International Women's Media Foundation. If you're interested in reading content from that special issue, visit eltecolote.org. Thank you for listening.